Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Hey, will you pray with me? Lord, I pray for our hearts. I pray for my lips. I pray for clear thoughts. Lord, thank you that you desire to speak to us, to open our hearts to your truth, to to renew our minds according to your word. And so, Father, have your way with us who are here, with us who are online. Lord, have your way with us, and we will say thank you, Jesus. Amen? So, continuing our series in the book Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, or pronounce it however you want. Um, and this is week two, and I'm kind of going to get a little running start, so I'm going to back up a little bit and just give you a some of the, what Habakkuk was experiencing in his world. You know, what was the culture like? If you know anything, you had Solomon. He was a ruler. He was a king, one of the great kings of Israel, but his son separated the kingdom, right? Um, and, and one son took the northern kingdom. One son took the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, about, I'm going to say, 200 years before uh, before Habakkuk lived, was uh, invaded and everybody carried away, exile. Here in the southern kingdom, you have a king called Jehoiakim. And this is what the Jewish literature says about him. He was a godless tyrant who committed atrocious sins and crimes. He's portrayed as living in sinful relations with his mother, his daughter-in-law, and stepmother and was in the habit of murdering men whose wives he then violated and seized their property. Right, so if that's the leader, what do you think the, the regular population was like? So when you have this prophet who, it's a beautiful picture, because many of the other prophets, they're kind of speaking to the nations. But here you have an intimate picture of Habakkuk's prayer life. And he's like, God, there's destruction and violence before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. So your law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. And then he, he cries out and, and he says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear me? Can you imagine what that's like? I mean, have you been there? I, I think many of us in one way or another have had these situations where you're like, God, you're not... You're not hearing me. You're not answering my prayer. I'm, I'm crying out to you. Lord, there's sickness in my family. There's cancer or there's depression or, Lord, I'm depressed or, my goodness, my spouse is divorcing me. I'm praying for this to be healed and it's not like, God, I can't take it. Or maybe you have children that you've been crying out for day after day, year after year, and you're like, Lord, why are you not hearing my prayer? Or even injustices. You know, there are injustices that go on over and over again. I'm a podcast listener, and I listen to this one called Wrongful Convictions. And week after week, you get stories of people who are in prison for long periods of time that are falsely in prison. For one reason or another, they're there. And, and many of them, what you hear about is how they get freed with DNA evidence or different things. But put yourself in their shoes. You didn't do it, and you're being punished, not for a day or a month or a year. 
I still remember the time as an identical twin when I got out of the car and my dad whacked me across the face and my mom goes, it was Dwight who was acting up, not Douglas. Right? Injustice! <laughs> Horrible! And, but I know I got away with many other things that never got to, you know. Yeah, you, and, and here you are crying out. Here they are crying out. And this is what Habakkuk is, is, uh, is feeling. And, and then God answers his prayer. And, and look what he says. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if I told you. Now, if I came up to you and said that, or if God broke into your world and said that, what, what would you think? Man, I am about to get a miracle, right? I feel like something good is about to happen. You know what follows? For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, to march through the breadth of the earth, seize dwellings not their own. Basically, you're going to get ransacked. That's what, that's what, I, what you're talking about? God, that's not the answer to the prayer that I'm looking for. And he's like, God, the people you're sending, we're bad. They're worse. They deserve more judgment. If I lived there, I'd be crying out worse than I am. What are you doing? God, how can you even think about doing that? Those people deserve more judgment than us. And uh, there's a term now that's thrown around by a lot of people, deconstruction of your faith. And I think his faith is starting to get a little deconstructed, isn't it? It's like, God, why, are, why, are, why is this bad thing about to happen? I, I watched a gal talk about who was this like, believer in Jesus and how she went and visited the camps. Uh, I visited years ago Dachau, and, and she saw you know, pictures and, and all this stuff, and she said, I stopped believing in God there. Because God didn't, didn't live up to her expectations of who God should be. And here you have this kind of suffering and, and his faith is struggling. And I, I couldn't help but think about Jeremiah. And here's what's interesting. Commentate, I mean, people who translate the Bible, they don't feel like we can handle a, the accurate translation, so they soften it for us. We read in our Bibles, God, you deceive me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. But the word for deceived could accurately be translated seduced. He's like, Lord, you seduced me. It's like you promised something and you didn't deliver it. He says, I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Jeremiah, you know, who... Who else would write lamentations, right? And Habakkuk is a, is a lament, and he's struggling. Paula Reinhardt said this, As a counselor, I've struggled myself with the same doubt and disillusionment. I hear many other ministry leaders. I, I know this to be true. No one really escapes this experience. If they're honest, doubts and disillusionments are rites of passage occurring most poignantly in persons 30s and 40s, by then it becomes, it's become widely obvious that marriage, ministry, I would add singleness to, and keeping a body healthy are much harder than it looks when friends are throwing rose petals in the air. I was at a wedding yesterday. Now, it actually was like a 
a re-wedding because they got married in a very, very small uh, ceremony during COVID, and this was the bigger, still awkward marriage ceremony. And, um, and I know that they've got rose-colored glasses, but someday they'll probably go through disillusionment. And I believe that's, I've said it before, where real love sets in because it's a choice and a decision. One author uh, said this, he, and he said that uh, he's going to talk about how many of our disillusionments are because we, we say we're following Jesus, but the thing we're following is the narrative about how our life should go with Jesus. So you and I, we follow Jesus, we get a concept, like this is how my life will be. And then we follow Jesus in our own narrative, right? It's like we raise children and we treat them like a recipe. You know, add flour, add sugar, add water, two eggs, beat thoroughly. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, and then they're going to come out like a certain way, right? And anybody who's a parent finds out, no, it's more like gardening, right? It's more like gardening because it doesn't always, you know, come out the way you want it to be. And it's the same with following Jesus. When we follow our ideas as opposed to Jesus, we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, he says it's much more important to make the following of Jesus the primary thing than to insist to yourself, here's how I want the story to end. To the degree you decide for yourself how your story has to end and your primary goal is something other than I will continue to be in love with Jesus. I will continue to follow Jesus no matter where he leads me. You're setting yourself up for some kind of disappointment or possibly some kind of idolatry. As delightful as any of those things might be, all of them pale in comparison to the delight of actually knowing and following the person of Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying many times we come to know Christ and our disillusionments are set up on the stories we tell ourselves because they aren't always the happy endings that we expect. And he's like, make following Jesus, make the apostles, Paul, Philippians, I want to know Christ, I want to fellowship with his suffering, like I want to know him, being like him. And that's the, the goal. Well, the scripture goes on and says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. Here's the beauty. He's struggling, but he stays connected. He, he doesn't jettison his relationship with God. He's like, Lord, I will stand here and listen in the midst of my, in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of this answer that you gave me, which is so perplexing, I'm going to stay in the relationship. It reminded me of what uh, Jesus' disciples and many of his followers did when he started speaking like a crazy man. Just picture for yourself not knowing what you know now and starting to be interested in Jesus and following him and then hearing these words come out of his mouth. Truly, truly. So this is like strong emphasis. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. You're like, oh, metaphorically speaking. And then he goes, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
for my flesh is true food and my body is true drink. You're like, is he asking me to bite him, right? I mean, he's, this, if you heard this for the first time, you'd be like, I, I, he does cool stuff, but I think he's lost his mind, right? Um, my, uh, he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the scripture goes on and says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. But look what the 12 do. So Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away also? Do you? Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So he's like perplexed, but he doesn't jump ship. He stays in the game. And then the Lord answered me and said, Record a vision and inscribe it on the tablets that the one who reads it may run. So the idea is like a herald who goes out and proclaims the news. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Waiting is the hardest part, isn't it? Isn't waiting? Waiting is the hardest part. This is a picture of uh, Gretchen and I not too long ago in Florida with some friends, and we have known them a long time, and I mentioned them before, Bill and Laura. And um, this vacation was a test to see if we can actually stay in the same condo together and get along so we know if we can do it again. And it worked. And uh, early on when we knew them, Laura and Bill, both recent college grads, pregnant with their first son. And uh, we just kept saying, Bill, you're going to get a job. And Laura works, but she wants to be a stay-at-home mom. She's supporting the family. But when she gives birth, you know, you're going to get a job. We just knew it. We're like, God is the God of the 12th hour, right? It'll happen right at the end, and guess what? No job. Laura delivered Josh, you know. And so here, here what, you know, like what's, what are we doing? Bill did odd jobs, side jobs, people donated, and then he finally did get a job. And I think he had it until the place moved, you know, maybe 16 years, maybe longer. And waiting is so hard. Because we have expectations. God, you're going to bring it to pass, like in your time and your way. Recently, I discovered a, a media piece on my computer. Now, I, it's entitled like Rough Cut or something like that because it was never finished. We were going to use it as a promotional video years ago, and a college student shot it, and he, he gave me a rough cut to proof, but then he just started drinking way too much and never finished it. So... Um, but I found it, and I thought, this is kind of funny, because it's got to be minimum 18 years old. And, uh, you know, the, I, my kids were little then, you know. And, uh, but what I found fascinating as I started thinking about waiting, he interviewed different people. And he interviewed this couple, Ross and Chris, and they just started spouting off their vision for Community of Hope. And what I found fascinating is how much of it actually came true. So check this out. A bigger church. <laughs> Air conditioning that we can hear over. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we hope to have a nice church on a large plot of land. And maybe I can cut the grass there. 
coffee shop, yes. More kids' programs. Great. Better, better library. More space. Space to accommodate. We have a really long list. <laughs> you got a lot of tape? Too bad they didn't go on because, you know, who knows what they would have said that we might have had here, you know. They, they, I didn't put in there, they, had, they wanted more children, space for children's ministry, a bigger church. Ross came to the church because he used to cut the grass uh, in the place where we rented, and that's how he came, and he's like a bigger church, large plot of land, 13 acres is what we have here, like coffee shop, you know. I, and I, I smiled and I thought, how funny that, you know, I forgot about that the vision for many of us were like, we just want to worship Jesus together, and then he brings it to pass. And I think if you're honest with yourself, some of you can look at your life and you can go, I had this dream or vision, and then it died, and then God brought it back. Or maybe right now yours is planted in the ground and you're trusting, Lord, is this a vision that you're going to resurrect? Uh, and then he goes on and he says, Behold, for the proud one... His soul is not right within him. When was the last time you saw pride as like your soul isn't fitting in your body? Like clothes that don't fit and would be uncomfortable. Like when, when you come to know the Lord or many times when you're growing in Christ, you're, you're, you're knowledgeable about your weakness and your need. You know, Paul was taught a lesson and he said, you know, I... I, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I'm going to boast in my weakness. Bring on things that make me weak because then I see my need for God. I'm more dependent on Him. But what typically happens in our relationship with Christ? Difficulty, struggles, and you pray like crazy. But then things start getting better, don't they? And, and you start, maybe you had money needs and now you've got a better job. Maybe you've had other needs and things get better. And you know, you know I don't... I don't I don't have to pray as much. I don't, I mean, the Bible's good. I read that before. You know, I remember what it says. Right? And, and we get this soul that starts not really fitting us so well. And it, it pulls us away. And isn't that the story of what happened in Israel and why they're going to actually go into exile? He goes, I, you know, I was thinking about this. A uh, couple, mm, five weeks ago, maybe more, I had a funeral here. And two things about the funeral stick in my mind. It was for Patricia Stibles. She died, uh, I think her age, 63. Frankly, not too much older than me. When you do funerals for people that are younger than you, it rips your heart out. Not too much older than you, you start going, this could be me, right? But two things stick out. One is... I, I ran into a guy that went to college with my brother I haven't seen in 20 years. We used to fellowship together, and that was just fun to see an old friend. Second, on Saturday night, I'm here with Patricia's two sons, and we're talking about the funeral that was going to take place on Sunday afternoon. And Sydney comes in, and, and we start having this conversation about bad things happening. And, and the one son who's father had passed when he was 45 and now his mother passed she was visiting the brother they both caught covid together she was fighting cancer she had was taking immune suppressant drugs and the son 
you know, recovered from COVID, but that's what took her out. And this son who has lost both parents looks at Sydney and he goes, you know, when I can't figure God out, I figure the problem's with me, not with God. And there was something beautiful about his humility, something that his soul fit him. He was like Mary who said, who said how can this be, Lord? His soul fit him. And, and then he says, behold, for the proud one, his soul's not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Now, there's so much to talk about here, but I want to keep it just in their context. How do they have to have faith? Because you know what the reality is? God was coming in to rip the heart out of their nation, to carry the people into exile. uh, This was about 600 B.C., 587 to 586, Jerusalem was attacked. The Babylonian Empire would come in. Thousands of Israelites would be relocated to ancient Babylon. They would be decimated. The temple burned down. Things destroyed. And, and, and you want to go like, what? Like, how, how is this any good, God, if they have their own, like, trail of tears going on? And, and he says the righteous will live by faith. Faith in what? But the reality is the thing, the big thing that they couldn't see that God was doing, this, this thing was he was creating and redirecting their life of faith. In their days, he was doing a new thing that would change the perception of their theology forever and would actually affect us. You know, the exile changed the way that they lived. They learned to live a life in exile of loyalty and subversion. The exile changed their theology, and it also changed the understanding for us of the picture of the coming Messiah. I mean, check this out. So imagine that God somehow allowed another nation to move into America and take us to Mexico, right? Or, or, or wherever. And now you're relocated. How would you respond? Some may respond like guerrilla warfare, right? We're going to continue to fight. And that's how some Israelites responded. And, and on the other side of the screen, some just assimilated. They're here, they, they met wives, they, they took, had children, and they just became like the culture around them. But God had a third way for them, the community of hope coffee mug way. What does the scripture on the coffee mug say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But you know what is before this section and not much before he's talking to the exile he's saying i've got a third way for you to live among the nations god says to the host the god of israel to all exile whom i sent into exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce so he's like settle down take wives Become, father, become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters. Give your daughters husbands. That they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there. Do not decrease. So he's like, move in, relax, 
you know, settle in the land, increase, seek the welfare of the city. Don't fight them. Seek the welfare. Where I've sent you into exile, pray to the Lord on the city's behalf, for in this, its welfare, you will have welfare. Wherever you go, in exile, I want you to live, settle down, relax, pray for the city, work for the best of the city. This is like a new way. Now, they were subversive, right? So they were loyal, but they were also subversive. Because you know the story, right? Daniel is there. He's in leadership. He, he is, he, he's honoring. He's, he's loyal to the government until they say, bow down. Worship another god. And now he's subversive. He's like, no. No, I will not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they're Daniel's buddies. And they're, they're wise leaders in the courts of, of the Babylonian king. And they're told they have to bow down. And they, they, they're subversive. They say no. And the king is like, I will not take this kind of rebellion in my midst. And what does God do? Notice it's a nonviolent rebellion. God saves them from the trial. And they don't get burned in the furnace. And there's a, another person in there who looks like the Son of God. I mean, you have this, this beautiful picture. And even Jesus, right? Jesus was in Roman-occupied territory. Gives him a coin. Give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God what's God's. And, and he is loyal and yet subversive to it. You see, there's a way to live in our world where, where we're the meek, where we are the poor in spirit, where we are the, the ones who pray and seek for the good of those around us. And because of this exile, there's this whole buildup of a, of a theology of exile. I mean, you read in First Peter, Beloved, I implore you as who? Exiles. Aliens and strangers. Exiles in this world. To abstain from sensual urges and evil desires and passions of the flesh of your lower nature that wage war against your soul. And he begins the book, I write to you, exiles. Like all of a sudden, this new thing that God is doing is he's like, I am going to, change how you see things and they started reading the scripture and saying wait a minute we had a home in in genesis and adam and eve were at home and then they were kicked out they were exiled and abraham was home and then he was exiled and they started looking at the scriptures while they're exiled and seeing oh this whole kind of exile and this whole theology got built up the bible project writes this Followers of Jesus offer their ultimate allegiance to their risen king. And they critique any kingdom that exalts its own values and power to the place of God. But at the same time, they're to seek peace and offer their best efforts to the communities in which they live. This is loyalty and subversion, energized by the hope that one day, King Jesus will return and replace are Babylonia's with his eternal kingdom. If they hadn't gone into exile, if God hadn't done a new thing that they couldn't imagine, our theology would be different. One author writes this, let me humbly suggest that there's another way, 
a, a way which uh, lives between the tension of subversion and loyalty. What does this mean? It means that instead of compromising who we are and simply living exactly as our culture calls us, instead of starting religious or cultural wars to defend the faith and to somehow prove we're not crazy or stupid, we're called to live a third way, a way which loves those who really don't love us, a way that prays for the ones who pray against us, a way that gives over our coats when asked for a shirt. Uh, and it, this way is a way of the gospel and love and is also a way of subversion. It, it means not giving in to idols of self-satisfaction, of chasing our own dreams, and, and instead giving all that we have for the last, the lost, and the least. It means instead of living our best life, learning what it means to die to ourselves and in the death and crucifixion of our desires to find a true resurrection life. So what developed in Israel was something even bigger. Because it wasn't just their exile, but this whole concept of exile got transferred to I'm in this world, but I was really meant for Eden. And everyone who lives in this world, you live with a feeling of alienation and a longing for something better. Like part of the gospel sharing is, do you know that you're in exile now? And you were meant for a new heaven and a new earth where God and man are together and we are, we are in this perfect harmony and this thing inside of us that longs for something more just points to the kingdom that we all truly long for. C.S. Lewis said this, he goes, if I find within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is this, is that I don't mind that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, it doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest the real thing. And if that's so, I must take care on one hand never to despise or be unthankful for earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else which... They're only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. Do you hear the exile motif? God sends them into exile changes the theology that we carry as now believers that we have this bigger picture that all of us we are aliens we are exiled we long for a kingdom that's different and even when the exile people went back they were still under somebody else's rule and in a sense that's just like we're living now and then jesus gets exiled to earth self-chosen exile 
and he picks the greatest exile of all where he's exiled by the Father and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet because of his exile, he leads the captives. Because of his exodus, we have a way home. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would lead us, <clears throat> lead us on. Father, renew our minds according to your word. Jesus, thank you that you've come to set the captives free. And I pray you would continue to set us free and that you would use us in this world to set others free, to be loyal and subversive, that your gospel would truly be the power of salvation for all who believe. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.